Well, can you imagine what that first Easter morning would have been like? Think about how it would have been for those first followers of Jesus. These were men who had left everything to follow him. They'd left their trade. They'd left their extended family. And they did so willingly, even eagerly, because they had so much hope in this man. These were women who had been the recipients of his ministry. They had been healed by him and they had been valued and lifted up by him to be treated as, as equals. And so they gave, uh, gave practically to support him and his disciples. These were people who, who wanted to hope, but who stayed on the sidelines a bit, watching closely, gradually coming to believe that he really was the one that they had been waiting for. They had invested so much into Jesus. Time and money, yes, but much more significantly than that. They had invested their dreams, their hopes, their desires into him. And all of that just went up in smoke as they watched him die on the cross. Well, some of them watched him die. The disciples had fled for their own lives. And so now they carry upon themselves, upon their shoulders, the guilt and the shame of that as well as their grief. The women, though, had watched to the very end and they saw him laid into the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea quickly put him into before the Sabbath began. You know, just a week earlier, they had been celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. They'd been shouting Hosanna and, and laying palm leaves before him. There'd been praises to God, the, the, the crowds, the children, they were making an absolute ruckus of celebration as he came into Jerusalem. But now, on this day, they're subdued and quiet. They're lost and defeated. Maybe it's like waking up the morning after your marriage has ended or your pregnancy has miscarried. Your job has been lost. Your child has walked out. The morning after your property has been destroyed or your best friend has died. We celebrate Easter Sunday. But for those first followers of Jesus, it started as a dark and a depressing day. For all that Jesus said, for all that Jesus did, for all that they hoped in who Jesus was, he still ended up dead and buried. So Mark chapter 16 opens with these words. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Because the Sabbath had been so near, all Joseph had been able to do was to quickly you know, wrap Jesus' body in some linen and then put it into the tomb. But now that the Sabbath, that time of forced rest and inactivity was over, the women could come and do their work of embalming the body. And they approached the tomb fully expecting Jesus' lifeless body to be there. I mean, he had spoken of rising again, but they had no expectation that his resurrection had taken place. And, and why would they? I mean, it's not the kind of thing that takes place. So they may have been coming in love and adoration of this man, but they were also and maybe primarily coming in grief and mourning. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, 
Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Do you know that feeling when, when your brain is just in a fog and you can't think clearly? That seems to be the state that these women were in. They, they were heading to the tomb. They had these plans to anoint Jesus' body. And they're well on their way there when they realize, how, how will we even get in? It's such an obvious thing, but in all of their, their planning and preparation, it had been overlooked until now when they were nearly there. Maybe you've been in a place like this, a place of such discouragement and disappointment and grief. And you then have a good sense of what these women and the, the wider group of disciples were feeling at this point. And the question is then, what can turn around such a situation? When Easter begins like this, how can it turn to become something that today we celebrate? Jesus is dead. He's buried in the tomb and they don't even know how they'll move the stone. How can a movement that names Jesus as its Messiah, as its Christ, its King, how can such a movement survive this moment? It seems hopeless. It seems over and done. But we keep reading in verse 4 it says, Having asked who will move the stone. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Mark, in his account, is typically understated. But we would understand this, this young man in a white robe to be an angel. Just as angels had come to declare the birth of Jesus, so now an angel declares his resurrection. Because listen to what he says. He says, he has risen. He's not here. And it's not just a case that someone had come and stolen away his body. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus had quoted the prophet Zechariah, who speaking for God said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's what happened. As Jesus was taken out, his followers scattered and fled. And then Jesus made this promise. He said, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now we know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus fulfilled that promise. Jesus truly did appear again to the disciples and did so in Galilee and he did so in other places and on other occasions. So this declaration that Jesus is risen is not just part of some grand deception that they're trying to play on, on the world, but is actually a statement of truth and of reality. Just as Jesus had predicted his suffering and his death, so he rightly predicted his resurrection. But even yet, the women still didn't grasp it. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Why should we expect the women's reaction to be any different to this? After all, it's not every day that someone rises from the dead. This is not something that could have reasonably be expected. I mean, yes, Jesus had raised Lazarus 
and the widow's son and a number of others from the dead. But in their mind, Jesus, the one who had done these things, he was himself dead. So how could he now raise again to life? And yet, and yet the stone was rolled away. And yet the tomb was empty. And yet the angel said, he is risen. And yet he promised to meet them again. Could they, could they dare to hope? I actually wonder if the final description of the women, that, that they were afraid. I wonder if that was not so much a negative fear, you know, that, that Jesus' body had been stolen or that now the authorities would come after them and, and they'd be you know, persecuted and suffer and, and all of that. I wonder if it's not so much that kind of a negative fear, but actually the fear that comes when you so desperately want to believe that something is true. It's the fear of the, the teenage boy on his first date, waiting at the restaurant, hoping that the girl he asked will actually turn up. It's the fear of the man who has depression but changes his lifestyle and gets onto medication and seeks counselling and he begins to feel better. And he now desperately hopes that this will work and will continue to work and that he might be able to re-establish his life as he previously knew it. It's the fear of the wife who has struggled with infertility, who after being quite regular in her cycle, stares at the pregnancy test hoping that positive lines will appear on there. It's the fear of, of a positive anticipation where everything indicates that, that what is hopeful will eventuate, but yet in this moment, it is still uncertain. And it's on that uncertain note that the book of Mark ends. It's like watching a movie or, or a book and, and all of a sudden it ends and you're like, no, no. It can't end there. What about this person? What happened there? It's not resolved for me. I can't believe it's just stopped there. And it would seem if you had that experience that you're not alone in that. Because there are another 12 Gospels in our Bibles that have been added, another 12 verses that have been added to the Gospel, but they've been added later. Maybe Mark's original ending got lost. Or maybe people just couldn't handle the ambiguity of where he finished. But uh, they've, they've taken then um, what's been recorded in the other Gospels and kind of summarized them and added these extra verses to the end of Mark. But what we have authoritatively from Mark, I mean, those things are still true and they're still accurate, but, but they lack the, the authority of having come directly from, from Mark. So what we have authoritatively from Mark ends with the women trembling, bewildered, and afraid, with Jesus as yet unseen. You know what? To, to me, that, that actually lends itself, lends itself to the credibility of the story. I mean, for one, it reflects real life. I mean, unlike any Christian, contemporary Christian movie you've seen, not everything gets wrapped up with a neat little bow of resolution, and neither does Mark's gospel. It reflects some of those ongoing uncertainties and unresolved issues that is true to real life. But secondly, if you're going to make this radically bold claim that the man that you are following, Jesus, has been raised again from the dead, and that this is something that you're not just making up to 
Uh, well, sorry, and that this is something that you're just making up to kind of keep this movement that you're a part of going, then you would seek to be pretty definitive and conclusive about it. If this is a, a made-up story and you're trying to provide evidence for people to believe in it, you would resolve this thing. You would leave no shadow of a doubt. But the fact that Mark is happy to leave it as it is says that he's actually not trying to prove anything. He's just telling it like it is. And he allows the reality of the risen Christ to speak for itself. There's nothing for him to prove or to convince because Jesus has risen. And Mark doesn't record it, but from here, everything turned around. Where the day had started in despair, it ended in hope. Where it looked like the Messiah was dead, he was in fact risen. And where this movement of followers of Jesus looked to be on the verge of collapse, instead, it turned the world upside down and continues to do so even today. Mark opened his gospel with these words. He said that he was making this account of the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I think the fact that he has such an open-ended finish is consistent with how he introduced his gospel. He was only telling the beginning of the good news about Jesus. The good news continues because the fact that Jesus has risen again changes everything. Through faith and trust in Jesus, this good news is that our sins can be forgiven, that Satan and the power of sin has been defeated, that death has been overcome, and that we can have life in him life with God, life as it was meant to be lived. Through faith and trust in Jesus, the good news is that we can have peace and security, hope and joy. The fact that Jesus has risen means that all that he is and all that he said he was. Sorry, let me say this again. The fact that Jesus has risen means that he is all that he said he was and that he's achieved all that he said he would. It means that he is the Saviour, the only means by which we can be forgiven and set free from our sin and restored to our life in and with God. It means that he is the King and the Lord over all, exercising his supreme authority for our good and for his glory. The fact that Jesus has risen means that he truly is the Messiah, the risen King, who invites us to trust in him, to follow him, to obey him and to worship him. Let's celebrate him now together as we pray and then sing. God, we rejoice today that that tomb is empty, that as those women discovered, Jesus is risen and he lives yet still today. We thank you, God. We thank you for this. We thank you for that validation of all that he said and of all that he is. We thank you then that we can put our trust in him, knowing that he lives now forever to sit at your right hand, to rule and to reign and to intercede for us. We thank you that because Jesus has risen, that through hope in him, we don't have to fear death, but just see it as the doorway to, to eternal life with you. We thank you that because Jesus is risen, that our sin is dealt with and, and the Spirit has been sent down into us to empower us, to give us Christ's life and to live that out more and more. We thank you 
that this is just the beginning of the good news. And may we experience it and live it and offer it more and more, we pray. We rejoice that Jesus is alive. In his name we pray. Amen.